questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Alan Brown. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, may I start by thanking the Mental Health Foundation for organising this year's Mental Health Awareness Week. Having good mental health is vital to us all, and that is why we are investing record levels in mental health. We want to ensure that people receive the treatment and care when they need it. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I will today be joining world leaders and internet companies for a summit in Paris on tackling terrorist use of the internet. Alan Brown. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and obviously I support Mental Health Week as well. Mr. Speaker, instead of a transplant providing my constituent Pauline Hunt an improved and extended life, tragically she has received a death sentence after receiving a malignant kidney. Now, Pauline rightly needs answers and comfort this won't happen to anyone else. So rather than her having to fight the system to get these answers, will the Prime Minister make sure that the UK service NHS blood and trans, uh, transplant service undertake a case review to identify why this malignancy wasn't picked up earlier and why red flags weren't identified post-operation as well? Well, the, the Honourable Gentleman has clearly raised a very concerning case, and uh, obviously he's given some details of that case here on the floor of the House. I will ensure that a relevant minister looks at uh, the issue that he has raised, because obviously it is a matter of concern if somebody receives something that they believe is going to be is give them their life, and uh, it is a malignant transplant, uh, a transplant of a malignant organ, as he has said in this case. So I will ensure that the Department of Health, the relevant minister. Looks at this. Opposy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, the Prime Minister has often spoken about how important it is to ensure that everyone gets a fair chance in life, and that, of course, includes carers. So, will she join me in welcoming the award to Annette Collier that was made at Friday's Pride of Rugby Awards, run by our fabulous local radio station? Uh, Annette's a leader for rugby young carers, and her great dedication, inspiration, and enthusiasm is helping youngsters in my constituency live their own lives. Yeah. Well, thank. Can I thank my honourable friend for highlighting this particular issue? Because we obviously recognise the importance of supporting young carers. We've published a cross-government carers' action plan, which is committing to improve the identification of young carers, educational opportunities and outcomes, as well as access to support and services. But I'm very happy to join my honourable friend in congratulating Annette for this award and thanking her for the amazing work she's done and continues to do to support young carers, and also to congratulate Rugby FM for identifying people in the community like who are doing so much to help the lives of others. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in acknowledging Mental Health Awareness Week and I want to send my support to all those campaigning all across the country to raise awareness of mental health and also a message that all of us can do something about it by reaching out and talking to people going through a mental health crisis and also ensuring there's proper funding for our mental health services. Uh, I would also like, Mr Speaker, to pay uh, tribute to the former Labour MP for Birmingham All Saints, Brian Walden, who passed away this week. He was a very formidable figure in this House and a, a very strong political interviewer, which um, every politician really loved being interviewed by at the time, but they, but they only said that afterwards. Um, I, I think, Mr Speaker, it would also be only right that the House of Commons pays tribute to a leading Hollywood icon and campaigner for animal welfare, Doris Day, who passed away this week. 
and I'm tempted to quote some Doris Day songs, but I won't. Um, all right, whip crack away. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, and oh, oh, I do apologise, Mr. Speaker. I've obviously started a, a, a parliamentary sing-along here, and. Um, and speaking of icons, Mr Speaker, it would be right to acknowledge that it's 40 years since the members for Huddersfield and Birkenhead were both elected to this Parliament for the first time in the 1979 election. Um, Mr Speaker, in the last two years, nine of the UK's richest hedge fund tycoons have donated £2.9 million to the Conservative Party. Is this a government for the many or in the, uh, in the pockets of an elite few. Can I, can I first of all uh, respond to some of the tributes that the Right Honourable Gentleman played? I'm sure that across the House everybody uh, would wish to uh, recognise the, uh, the uh, sad passing of somebody who gave many hours of entertainment through her films and, uh, and career, Doris Day. Um, I, also, I also would like to congratulate the Honourable Members for Huddersfield and uh, Birkenhead on uh, having been elected into this House 40 years and having spent 40 years in this House. I also note that uh, 40 years ago, of course, uh, it was uh, the election of Margaret Thatcher. And, and, uh, and it was always said, it was always said that Margaret Thatcher had indeed enjoyed uh, being interviewed by uh, Brian Walden. And uh, he did indeed not only have a career in this house, but went on to have a very uh, respected career in, uh, in television journalism as uh, a broadcaster and, uh, and interviewer. But can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, he raises issues about fairness and about, uh, and about equality and uh, those who are better off in our society. Can I just say to him that income inequality is down since 2010? As Conservatives, we want everyone to be better off, everyone to have good jobs, and everyone to have a better life. But that's always the difference between us and Labour. Labour want to bring people down, we want to raise people up. Mr Speaker, the Nobel Prize winning economist Sir Angus Deaton said the UK risks having extreme inequality levels of pay, wealth and health. Of the G7 countries, only the United States is more unequal than Britain. Is that something the Prime Minister is proud of? say to the right honourable gentleman that what is important, as I say, talking about income inequality and fairness, as I say income inequality is down since 2010, the lowest pay had seen their wages grow the fastest since 2015, the top 1% are contributing more income tax than at any point under the last Labour government. And thanks to the Conservatives, millions of people, the lowest paid, are no longer paying any income tax at all. That's Conservatives delivering for everyone. Mr Speaker, real wages are lower than they were ten years ago. 
and how can it be fair that we live in a society where the average chief executive of a FTSE 100 company now earns 145 times the annual average salary in this country? And some of the lowest rates of pay are amongst young workers. That's why at the weekend I announced that the next Labour government will abolish the youth rates because, quite simply, if you're old enough to do the job, you're old enough to be paid the wage to do the job. Does the Prime Minister agree with that principle? I say to the right honourable gentleman that the impact of the policy he has announced was actually it will cost young people jobs. And that's not just... The director of the IFS said the policy would end up having uh, quite a negative effect on young people. But we don't need to rely on quotes to know about what would happen to young people under a policy like that. We just look at the record that the last Labour government had on youth employment. Under the last Labour government, youth unemployment rose by 44%. Under under the Conservatives in government, youth unemployment has fallen by 50%. I seem to recall, Mr Speaker, it was the Conservative Party that opposed the national minimum wage in 1997. I seem to recall it was the Conservative Party that predicted millions of jobs would be lost because we wanted decent pay for people. But why, Mr Speaker, does this government continue to punish our young people? Since 2000, well, since 2010, the Conservative Party with the Liberal Democrat accomplices have trebled tuition fees, abolished the educational maintenance allowance and cut child benefit. And while wages remain lower than a decade ago and housing costs have soared, more and more food banks are opening up in Britain. In Great Yarmouth, one has just been opened for pupils at a school. And last week, the Department of Business established a food bank for its own staff in the building there on Victoria Street. Can the Prime Minister tell us what is going wrong in modern Britain that a government office in the centre of London has a food bank for some of its very low-paid staff to get something to eat? to the right honourable gentleman, as he knows, I think that the best way to ensure that people have a good income and a stable income for their families is to ensure that they are in work. And this is the fourth question he's asked me. The fourth question he's asked me, and in none of his questions so far has he welcomed the fact that employment is at record levels unemployment is down at a record low. And the way the Right Honourable Gentleman talks, you would think that inequality started in 2010. But who was it who said, oh, one of the Labour backbenchers shouts from a sedentary position? It did. Who was it who said of the last Labour government, they ensured that the gap between the richest and the poorest in our society became very much bigger. Not my words, the words of the Right Honourable Gentleman attacking his own Labour government. Mr Speaker, my question was about food banks 
in a government office which seems to make... Order! Order! I'm very, very, very worried about you, Mr Spencer. You used to be such a calm and measured fellow. You're now behaving in an extraordinarily eccentric manner, almost delinquent. Calm yourself, young man, and your condition will improve. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, my question was about a food bank in a government ministry, which seems to me to suggest that it's in-work poverty that is the problem in Britain. The Trussell Trust handed out 1.6 million food parcels last year, half a million of which went to children. And there's a new report out today from the End Child Poverty Coalition, which shows that child poverty has risen by half a million and is becoming the new norm in this country. The End Child Poverty Coalition called on ministers to restore the link between inflation and social security. Will the Prime Minister do that to try and reduce the disgraceful levels of child poverty in this country? Honourable gentleman talks about helping those who are low paid. It is this government, it is a Conservative government that introduced the national living wage. And what do we see? What do we see? That someone under labour, someone working full time on national minimum wage, would have taken home £9,200 a year. Now they take home over £13,700. £4,500 more under the Conservatives for the lowest paid. That's the Conservatives caring for the low paid in our society. Mr Speaker, they may have changed the name, but the Institute of Fiscal Studies says that child poverty will rise to over 5 million by 2022 at the current rate because of the strategies being followed by her government. When the wealth of the richest thousand people in Britain has increased by £50 billion in one year, but has not enough money to properly feed our children or pay workers a decent wage, then we have failed as a society. This country is seeing the rich get richer while the poor get poorer, while the government is in the pockets of a super-rich elite. More children in poverty more pensioners in poverty, more people struggling to make ends meet. When is she and her government going to reverse the tax giveaways to the super-rich and make sure they pay their fair share of taxes so we can end the scandal, and it is a scandal, of inequality in modern Britain? Well, the right honourable gentleman talks about, in fact, as I pointed out, the top 1% are paying more in income tax today than they ever did under a Labour government. But, but what have we seen from Labour in just the past week? Labour Party has a plan for a system where everybody in this country would get benefits. That means handouts to hedge fund managers paid for by tax hikes on working people. Labour's policy, money for the rich, paid by taxes on the poor. Nigel Huddleston! Thank you, Mr Speaker. As already noted, 40 years ago, Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister, and during during her premiership, she convinced people like me and people from modest backgrounds right across the country that it's the Conservative Party that's the party of opportunity and aspiration. Does the Prime Minister agree that education plays a pivotal role in unlocking these opportunities and enabling social mobility? 
And will education and skills funding receive the attention it therefore deserves in the upcoming spending round? To my honourable friend, of course, we're already putting uh, record levels of funding into our schools, £43.5 billion. Of course, he's trying to tempt me to talk about the spending review that is uh, upcoming, but I can assure him that we're committed to improving education for every child because I absolutely, passionately believe that we should be making sure that how far a child goes in life doesn't depend on their background or their circumstances or who their parents are but it actually depends on their individual talents and their hard work. Everybody in this country should be able to go as far as their talents and their hard work will take them. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition in welcoming uh, Mental Health Awareness Week? Mr Speaker, pending your approval, we now know that the Prime Minister's three times defeated Brexit deal will return yet again in June. Can the Prime Minister tell us, has a backroom agreement been reached with the Leader of the Opposition to sell out the people of Scotland and force her shoddy deal through? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, the only party that wants to sell out the interests of Scotland are the SNP, and when they're independence. Ian Blackford. Not quite, not quite sure, Mr Speaker, what that had to do with the question. You might at least try, Prime Minister, to answer the question. The people of Scotland are none the wiser of what is going on in these secret Tory Labour talks. Scotland's people and the will of the Scottish Parliament is being ignored. Mr Speaker, enough is enough. Why is the Prime Minister so afraid of giving the people of Scotland their say? The fact is, at the European elections next week, the people of Scotland will make their voices heard, whether Westminster likes it or not. Next Thursday, the people of Scotland can vote SNP to stop Brexit and send a clear message that Scotland will not be ignored any more. I say to the right honourable gentleman, he talks about the people of Scotland not knowing where things stand. Well, the people of Scotland will know where things stand if the right honourable gentleman and his colleagues vote for the withdrawal agreement bill and ensure that we leave the European Union. And if people want to vote for a party that not only is a Brexit party, but also is a party in government that can deliver Brexit, they should vote Conservative. Nigel Evans. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can the Prime Minister confirm that if we were to stay in a customs union and a single market, that we'd have to pay billions into the European Union, that we couldn't do free trade deals around the world, and we couldn't control our own immigration, and that we will never betray the promise that we made at the last general election, uh, that we will deliver the full Brexit, unlike the broken promises from the party opposite. I say to my right honourable friend, I'm happy to confirm to him that we do indeed remain committed not just to delivering Brexit and to securing a majority in this House to do just that, but I can reassure him on his specific points. In leaving the European Union, we want to we will end free movement, restore full control over our immigration policy, open up new trading opportunities around the world and end the days of sending vast payments to the European Union. And we will not pay for market access. And he mentions the last election and commitments that were made at the last election because he and I both stood on a manifesto promising to deliver the best possible deal for Britain as we leave the European Union, delivered by a smooth, orderly Brexit, 
as we seek a new, deep and special partnership, including a comprehensive free trade and customs agreement with the European Union. I am committed to those objectives. I believe that we have negotiated a good deal that delivers on those, and I am determined to deliver it. This Government say they are committed to tackling climate change, yet too often the evidence suggests otherwise. Take the examples of their support for an oil refinery in Bahrain, but their refusal to help award-winning tidal energy specialists Nova Innovation. The reality is 99.4% of UK export finance in the energy sector goes on fossil fuel projects. If this government is serious about addressing the climate emergency, will they prove it by investing in the future, not the past? What can I say to the Honourable Gentleman? We are investing in the future and not the past. That's why we've been encouraging issues like uh, electric vehicles, the, uh, the battery technology that is taking place here in the UK. But he talks about uh, our interest and our support for the, uh, uh, what we need to do on climate change. Just look at our record. Our renewable energy capacity has quadrupled since 2010. Annual support for renewables will be over £10 billion by 2021. 99% of solar power deployed in the UK has been deployed under the Conservative in government, and we have been decarbonising at a faster rate than any other country in the G20. Andrew Lua. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, it's vital for trust in the Prime Minister and the government for dates to be set and then stuck to. Can we have a definitive and unalterable date for the release of the green paper on adult care? Can I say to my honourable friend, he's absolutely right that we need to abide by and will abide by the government's commitment to publish a green paper in relation to adult social care. Uh, we want to ensure that when we do that, we are able to bring forward proposals that d deliver the answer to the question, or possible answers to the question we have to ask ourselves, which is how we can uh, ensure that support for social care, that social care system, is sustainable into the future. We will be publishing it at the earliest opportunity, and it will set out those proposals to ensure that social care system is sustainable in the longer term. Pete Wisher. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, Mr. Speaker, but it's looking a bit threadbare over in these benches just here. Maybe we should examine the reason why. The government can barely secure double figures in the opinion polls. The UK is now an international laughing stock, with her backbench just wanting her going, as does the nation. She's now going to be bringing back her withdrawal agreement for a fourth tanking as her backbench queue up to say they won't support her. Has the road now just not run out, Prime Minister? And for the sake of her nation, will she please just go and let Scotland go too? Yeah. Well, I can say to the right honourable gentleman that from his references to those of us across this house, it's obvious his charm offensive to become next speaker has already started. Uh, can I also say to him it's in the interests of Scotland that it remains part of the United Kingdom and it's the interest and it's the interest of the whole of the United Kingdom that we deliver on what people voted for in the referendum and deliver Brexit. Rebecca Powell. Mr Speaker, 15,200 ch children in Somerset are now in good and outstanding schools compared to 2010. Great news. 
But despite 5.9% more funding per pupil going into Somerset, teachers and parents are coming to me increasingly from Taunton Dean to say that they are under funding pressures and they are in the fifth lowest for, for secondary school funding and the bottom third for primary school funding. So would the Prime Minister agree with me that to give our children the very best opportunity in life, we must correct this funding injustice in Somerset and with a strong economy, overseen by this government, we can and we should do it. Yeah. Can I say, say to my honourable friend, can I thank you for the comments she makes about the uh, increasing number of children in Somerset in good and outstanding schools. Uh, we, it is indeed, as she says, our management of the economy, the strong economy that enables us to put more money into our public services like education. That's why we are putting a record level of funding into schools this year, giving every local authority more money for every pupil in every school. But also, of course, we have introduced the new funding formula to make the distribution more uh, fairer across schools across the country, because what we want to do is to keep on improving the education for every child. So, as I said uh, in response to an earlier question from uh, my honourable friend, we have the opportunity uh, to ensure that every child can go on and achieve their full potential. Rosie Duffield. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As this is Mental Health Awareness Week, does the Prime Minister agree with the Labour Party that it's time to scrap tests for pre-teenage children, such as SATs and in Kent the 11+, that we know cause them to experience stress, anxiety and a sense of failure? Yeah. I'd say to the Honourable Lady, what is important as we, as children go through their education is we make sure they are receiving the right education for them and we make sure that the schools are providing the right quality of education. And uh, simple tests that enable that, uh, those judgments to be made about where children are in relation to their uh, learning through their school career, I believe is right. It was right that those were introduced and it's right that they continue. Vicky Ford. It is Mental Health Awareness Week and it's also exam time. And in Chelmsford at Anglia Ruskin University, the staff and students care deeply about supporting all those with mental health issues. So will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, urge the Secretaries of State for Health and Education to work together to provide a specific fund so that our universities can develop new and innovative ways to help students with mental health pressures. Well, uh, my honourable friend is right to raise the issue of mental health in universities, and it is important. It is a priority for the government. NHS England is already working closely with Universities UK through the Mental Health in Higher Education programme to build the capability and capacity of universities to be able to improve student welfare services and improve access to mental health services. Uh, but I will ensure, and I will be happy to ask both the health and education secretaries to consider options to look at this further. Mr. Barry Shearman. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister is now well aware that I've had the privilege of serving the people of Huddersfield for 40 years. But is she aware that when I came into this House, I was a passionate Eurosceptic? And the reason I, and the reason that I changed my mind, I saw how the European Union delivered prosperity, uh, cleaning up the environment, keeping the peace, keeping our security. It changed my mind about the value to all the people in this country, as well as my constituents, of staying in the EU. Isn't it time that the Prime Minister spoke out uh, the truth about Europe, rather than the big lie of the UKIP party? 
Yeah. I say to the uh, honourable gentleman that I think it. Uh, I, this House voted for the uh, for the referendum. The government of the time said that it would abide by the decision of the referendum. The people voted, the people made their choice, and I think it is right that uh, this government delivers on that choice and delivers Brexit. And the Honourable Gentleman mentioned, uh, we've mentioned earlier him coming into this House and he's been serving his constituents for 40 years. Uh, he mentioned prosperity. Actually, in 1979, it was a Conservative government that came in and turned around all the problems of a Labour government and gave this country prosperity. Ross Thompson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, Prime Minister, on behalf of animal lovers across the country, may I congratulate you on introducing Lucy's Law to stamp out the horrific and barbaric practice of puppy and kitten uh, farming. However, this law only applies to England, and with the Welsh consultation closing this week, does my right honourable friend agree with me that unless the SNP government now act to introduce oh, yeah, yeah. Lucy's Law, there is a real risk of Scotland becoming a hub for unscrupulous puppy farmers, and Scotland cannot be left behind. I think my, my honourable friend raises a very important point. I'd like to um, congratulate him on the work that he did on this issue because I know he, he raised it uh, uh, regularly and championed this uh, particular cause. Um, but it is ironic that as an MP for a Scottish seat, he was able to help to change the law here in England and ensure that this was brought in, where the SNP government in Scotland are not willing to change that law. And I, I think the SNP, it's time the SNP government got on with the day job and actually started legislating for things that matter to people in Scotland. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister says that it's her deal, no deal or no exit from the EU. But we voted against her deal and we voted against no deal for good reasons. But she's not shifted and she's out of time. Will she admit now that all that's left is no exit or will she go back to the people? Yeah. I say to the Honourable Lady, she knows full well my response to the question about going back to the people. I believe the people were given the, uh, the choice as to whether we should stay in the European Union in 2016 in the referendum. They voted, they gave their decision, and I believe it is up to this Government, not just this Government, but this House, to respect the decision that was taken when we gave, we as a Parliament, gave people that choice. Simon Clark. Thank you, Mr Speaker. At a crucial time, can I take this opportunity to highlight the uh, absolutely vital importance of supporting British Steel, and in particular the world-leading Special Profiles Division at Skinningrove in my constituency? This is a profitable business and a jewel in the crown of UK steelmaking. And can I urge my right honourable friend to deliver a productive outcome to the talks that are ongoing as swiftly as possible? Yeah. Well, my, my honourable friend has raised an important point about, the, uh, about uh, British Steel, and obviously uh, I can't comment on the uh, speculation about the future of Grable Capital-owned British Steel. Uh, I realise this is a worrying time for those who are employed there and their families. Uh, as everybody would expect across this House, the business department is in regular contact uh, with a wide range of sectors and companies. And, but of course, last, uh, last month, the Government did enter into a commercial agreement with British Steel relating to their obligations under the EU Emissions Trading Scheme, uh, which has provided support to that company. Mrs Sharon Hodgson. Mr Speaker. Three weeks ago, the Prime Minister received a copy of the Children's Future Food Inquiries report um, delivered to Number 10 by Dame Emma Thompson and six young um, food ambassadors who all experienced food poverty. 
On her government's watch, the End Child Poverty Coalition have found that half a million more children are having their lives blighted by food poverty than at the start of this decade. Will the Prime Minister meet with these young food ambassadors and to discuss their right to food children's charter as soon as possible? to the Honourable Lady, I haven't actually seen the uh, Charter yet, and so I will look carefully at that Charter. But as I've said in response to a number of questions on this, uh, on this issue, what is important is that we have in this country an economy that enables people to get into good jobs. That's what we are delivering as a Conservative Party in Government. That is what enables people to have that, uh, that stability in their income. That's what enables people to be able to care for their children. Antoinette Sandback. Speaker, will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the final evaluation of the National Bereavement Care Pathway? It found that nine out in ten parents who had suffered the loss of a child felt that they were treated with sensitively and with respect. <laughs> has passed the test with flying colours. Antoinette Sandbach. Not only did the Honourable Lady pass the test, uh, Mr Speaker, but so did the National Bereavement Care Pathway. It it also found that eight in ten healthcare professionals felt supported to deliver good quality bereavement care. Does the Prime Minister agree that these results are a rallying call to the remaining NHS Trust to adopt the National Bereavement Care Pathway, ensuring that all bereaved parents will receive better bereavement care. What can I say, first of all, to my honourable friend? I realise this is an issue that is close to the hearts of many members across this House, including my honourable friend, who has spoken most movingly on this subject. And uh, I'd like to thank the APPG for all their work on this issue, because we do uh, believe and recognise that all bereaved parents should be offered the same high standard of care and support in an appropriate environment. These results do indeed show the benefit of the National Bereavement Care Pathway. It's already helped to strengthen the support for many bereaved families across the country, and I would certainly urge all trusts to adopt this approach. Thank you, Mr Speaker. We rightly condemn the denial or abuse of trade union rights in Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh, Colombia and many other countries. So will the Prime Minister agree that the victory by Unite Trade Union members, who won £1.9 million compensation after major construction firms unlawfully blacklisted and denied them work, is a victory for British values? Does she agree that free and independent trade unions are a valued part of our democracy? Will she condemn the illegal actions of these construction companies and, in an open democracy, guarantee trade union representatives a right of access to workplaces to speak to employees about their Can I say to the Right Honourable Lady that I recognise the important role that trade unions play in our democracy uh, and the work that can be done with trade unions to ensure that we are enhancing workers' rights in this country. It's exactly what this government is doing. We want to see workers' rights being enhanced and improved. We're already on track to do that, and uh, I look forward to us continuing to be able to do that in the future. Brian. Mr Speaker, a couple of weeks ago I asked the Prime Minister about a family in my constituency who desperately need the life changing drug Spinraza. This morning we have the wonderful news that it's going to be made available in England, but will the Prime Minister now press for a managed access agreement to be put in place as soon as possible because the children who need this drug 
can't afford to wait a single day more. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, my honourable friend raised a, a very important issue at the time, and I'm very pleased that NHS England and Biogen have agreed a deal that enables NICE to recommend this revolutionary new treatment. Um, it does have the potential, as my honourable friend has said, to transform the lives of young children with spinal mu- muscular atrophy and their families. And uh, I will certainly ensure that his request in relation to in, uh, in making sure that this is available as quickly as possible is, is acted on by the department. Take Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Research by the Victoria Derbyshire Show has revealed that in the last five years, four children have been murdered following contact granted by the family courts to known abusers. This morning, over 120 MPs have written to the Justice Secretary calling for an independent inquiry into the treatment of victims of domestic abuse and violence by the family courts. Does the Prime Minister agree that there is something wrong with a system that forces contact between children and parents that are known risks yep. to that child? And if she does agree, will she commission that independent inquiry yeah. today? Yeah. To the Honourable Lady, that the family court system should never be used to coerce or to re-victimise those who have been abused. And a child's welfare must be the paramount consideration for the court in any proceedings. I'm, I'm pleased that the uh, President of the Family Division has has published some new draft guidelines uh, just last week, which provides greater clarity on some issues around the family court, such as increasing transparency. Um, The Ministry of Justice currently have not seen evidence to suggest a public inquiry is necessary, but I will ensure ensure that the new Minister for Justice meets the Honourable Lady to discuss the concerns that she has raised. Rachel McLean. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister congratulate the hard-working campaign team in Redditch, who secured an increased majority on the Redditch Borough Councils in the local elections earlier this month? Will she visit Redditch to find out how they are starting to put in place plans to unlock Redditch? And will she recommit her government's resources to the crucial issue of regenerating towns and high streets up and down the country? Well, I'm very happy to congratulate the campaign, all those campaigners, those uh, elected councillors, for the success that they had in the Redditch Borough Council elections. And I'm pleased to see Redditch, Redditch Council actually moving forward with its plans to improve the, uh, improve the town of Redditch. And certainly we remain committed. We have allocated sums to ensure that we can see improvements in towns up and down the country. And uh, we continue our commitment to that. And as for the invitation, I'm very grateful to my honourable friend and I will ensure that uh, my diary secretary has that, and we will see if that is possible. Albert Owen! My constituency, my constituent Gerald Corrigan, was shot with a crossbow outside his home on Good Friday. This weekend, he died of those severe injuries. I'm sure the House will join me in sympathising with his family, his partner, and his friends. The community is in shock. Can the Prime Minister join me in appealing to the public for any information and to give that, give that information to North Wales Police in confidence? And can she give assurances that the law on crossbows will be reviewed in light of the number of incidents and also ensure that the police have enough resources to carry out this now murder inquiry? Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, he's obviously raised a very worrying case, and as he says, the thoughts of the whole House are with the family and friends and partner of his constituent. This is, uh, it's terrible when one hears of an incident such as this. Uh, it's absolutely right. I will, the Home Secretary has heard the uh, comments that the Honourable Gentleman has, has raised in relation to the law on, uh, on crossbows, and uh, I absolutely join with the Honourable Gentleman, encouraging any member of the public who has any information about what happened 
happened to get in touch with the police. There are, of course, there is, of course, the anonymous uh, route to be able to give uh, evidence, to give information, to the, for it to reach the police without uh, without being identified. If people are concerned about that, but if anybody knows anything about this that can help to catch the uh, those who are responsible, then I urge them to come forward. Mr. Peter Bone. <laughs> Thank you, Mr Speaker. For more than 20 years, I've worked with an incredible group of Conservatives in Wellingborough and Rushton. They raise money for the party, they deliver leaflets, and they knock on doors, week in, week out. This Saturday, so 40 of us went out campaigning for the European elections. But unfortunately, sir, I have here a letter from those Conservatives addressed to the Prime Minister. They say that her deal is worse than staying in the European Union, that they want us to come out now on a no-deal basis. And, sir, more importantly, they've lost confidence in the Prime Minister and wish her to resign before the European elections. Prime Minister, what message do you have to say to these dedicated and loyal Conservatives? How can I say to... First of all, can I say to my honourable friend, I say to those members of the Conservative Party across the country who campaign regularly uh, for elections of all sorts. We've just heard of that group in Redditch who succeeded in getting excellent results in Redditch Borough Council elections. All Conservatives who campaign, I first of all thank them for the time and effort that they put into promoting the uh, Conservative cause. And secondly, I would say to Conservatives up and down the country who are concerned about delivering Brexit, this is a government that wants to deliver Brexit and has been working to deliver Brexit. Sadly, so far, so far, the House of Commons has not found a majority to do that. If, if everybody in the House of Commons had voted alongside with the government and the majority of Conservative members of Parliament, we would already have left the European Union. Catherine West! Was West! Speaker. The people of Hornsey and Wood Green are completely distraught at the British Council worker Harassa Miri, who has been taken and put into prison in Iran suddenly. The Foreign Secretary is kindly having a meeting with me and the family on Friday, but please, could she condemn this action by Iran, and could she please speak to President Rouhani urgently about this terrible situation? Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that obviously we are concerned, we're always concerned when we see sentencing of any individual purely on the basis of their employment uh, with an entirely legitimate institution, which is uh, uh, what is the case. It's utterly shocking. I'm deeply concerned by the turn of events that has taken place, and my thoughts are with the individual and her family at this time. Um, as the Honourable Lady has seen, the Foreign Secretary is taking this issue up. The, the uh, Government will uh, press the case and the concerns that have been raised in relation to this. But I'm sad Sadly, the arrest of this individual shows that Iran's attitude towards entirely legitimate organisations, which are trying to foster better relations and cultural understanding between countries, but this is an issue that the government, as, the, as she has noted, the Foreign Secretary will take up. And finally, Stephen Kerr. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister is rightly regarded by Scottish Conservatives as a trenchant champion of the Union, and thank goodness for that. So will she agree with me that the UK Shared Prosperity Fund is an opportunity to strengthen the union? And will she confirm that that fund will be led by the needs of communities and will not be barnetised? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, can I say to my honourable friend, it is absolutely right that we have an opportunity with the Shared Prosperity Fund to ensure that we are recognising the ways in which we can reduce the disparities between communities and between nations within the United Kingdom. And it is absolutely right, as he says, that this should be led by the needs on the ground, and we should make sure that money is spent effectively and delivers for people. And that's our intention. Thank you. Order.